0: Bonjour, hi, Canada. the last radio hour of the week, and that music means it's time for the Hillsdale Dialogue, our weekly ascent to an idea or a period of time or an essay or a proposition that endures with Dr. Larry Arnn, president of Hillsdale College and or one of his colleagues today. It's Dr. Arnn Solo. We're going to cover the Northwest Ordinance, which is really all about Ohio. And so... Uh, you've got me, the Ohio expert, so we don't need another faculty member for this. But I, I want to begin, Dr. Arne, by asking if any Hillsdale college football players are likely to be drafted over the next two days. You've got a few NFL players in your history of the uh, the, the storied history of Hillsdale football. Any of them on the big board this year? No, we have a very young team this year, and
1: uh, so
0: no. Uh, okay. They, they they have produced a couple of big linemen. I think an Arizona Cardinal. I don't know where they play anymore, but there are a couple of big guys Wide receiver, there.
1: too. You got, you and got and a wide receiver? And, and the greatest offensive lineman in NFL history, Howard Mudd, who used to be a commentator on TV, too. Uh, and Chester Markle, one of the best kickers in the NFL history.
0: Gene Hickerson is the greatest football player in American history on the line, or Joe Thomas. But... But we'll, let's not get you beyond your your range of uh, expertise, Dr. Arndt. <laughs> uh, I, I want to begin by uh, telling people Hillsdale.edu is where you get everything Hillsdale, including an application. Have you sifted through that pile of incoming, that raft of applications yet? Yeah, they're doing that now.
1: Uh, letters are going out, and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, but, and uh, phone calls, right? Yeah. it uh, but, You know, it's... Uh, it's sad, actually. We're going to try to grow some because we just got so many people who want to come here. Where are they going to go, you know? So we feel the weight of that and trying to do something about it.
0: One of my colleagues told me who has had a job like yours, one of my great friends, that the worst day is when you lose a student to any of a variety of reasons, illness or accident. And then... People whose whole lives have been built on going to a particular school, and they they can't get in, they don't get in. There's a reason they don't get in. You have a good process, but you've got to you got to talk to the parents, especially if they're supporters of the school.
1: Well, you know, most you know, there's a and beyond that, right? Because there's a million reasons why you pick a school, and kids are young, and you know, they like the they like the buildings, or they like the parking, or they like a lot of things. But uh, uh, the the college world has bifurcated. And so now, most of them are not the same kind of thing as they used to be. They're not attempting, undertaking the same thing. And so if you want the original
0: thing, which, as the argument goes, is natural and true, then you don't have very many choices. I think that your student surge is because they like the idea of Hillsdale. And uh, another time we'll discuss what the idea of Hillsdale is, but it is what they think a college ought to be, and actually it is what your college is. And that's why we are got the Hillsdale Reader in front of me, the American Heritage Hillsdale Reader for people who are new. And we just added Sparta, Tennessee, Dr. Arn. so they will not have heard this before. All the Hillsdale Dialogues are are collected at Hugh for Hillsdale. We're in year number eight or something, but we've never gone through the reader before, and we're doing it. And we're at the Northwest Ordinance today, and the Northwest Ordinance is passed in July of 1787. little preface for you, Larry. Uh, last week, George W. Bush was my guest, and at the end, we are doing a little chat. I asked him what he was reading. He recommended a book called The British Are Coming by historian Rick Atkinson, one of three books on the American Revolution, really military history of the American Revolution. And, you know, it goes on for eight years. There, there's a lot of blood involved in the American Revolution. There's a lot of sacrifice. And there's a lot of land. And one of the things Atkinson covers is that one of the great disputes leading to the revolution is colonial governors were messing around with land grants. And that is likely to get a revolution started just about as soon as anything besides taxes.
1: Yeah, well... uh you know, the, so in the, the war ended in 1783, and then two sister acts were passed. One in 1785 and one in 1787. And the first of the two was the North, uh, the Land Ordinance of 1785. You can't understand the one without the other. And the second is the Northwest Ordinance. And the 1785 Act demarcated the land, and it it, it, it divided it into townships, 36 miles square and then sections one mile square and the whole point of that i mean you get the entire difference of the american regime from the british regime at that time and for that matter from uh, joe biden's speech the other day (laughs) because why would they demarcate the line with land with fine lines to be a surveyor george washington was that uh, surveyed in virginia uh, that was a dignified thing, because we needed to locate the pieces of land precisely, not overlapping, so that individual people could own them. And that, you know, that's, a, that, that's the first step. That happened two years after this terrible war was over, and, and it concerned mostly the Northwest Territory, what came to be known as the Northwest Territory, or, I'll give you this, the Ohio Territory. Yes, and, indeed. And I should stick in here that you're, it's, you're right. It's easy to get my beyond my level of expertise. It's just hard to find yours.
0: <laughs> well, it's Ohio. I do want I, I want Adam to prepare my uh, Mason Dixon line song for you, which you've never heard. Another surveyor of great fame is Moses Warren, uh, who surveyed the Western Reserve. Uh, One hundred and forty. Square miles that were given, 120 square miles given to Connecticut as part of the land settlement, which is where Warren was. And the seat of the Western Reserve was Warren, Ohio. And Moses Warren uh, surveyed the land. And surveying, in fact, the land runs through all of the Northwest Ordinance. Would you pause for a moment and describe? This is not the Constitutional Convention that is doing this. This is the Continental Congress. At the same time, you know, this was propagated on 13 July 1787 the Northwest Ordinance, at the same time that the convention is meeting in Philadelphia uh, for the Steelers fans. What's the difference? They're confused. Well, uh, you know, so both the Land
1: Ordinance of 1785 and the Northwest Ordinance of 1787 are acts of the Continental Congress, and that's an interesting thing because you couldn't pass those things unless all the states agreed. It took unanimity yep. in the Confederation Congress, and that means that what we're reading here is consensus, and one can't, I'm going to keep saying it, you can't emphasize how dramatic this is, right? Because regular people, every one of them, is going to have an opportunity to earn some, uh, own some land, which is how, you know, it's still true today, although we've built this fabulous structure on top of it. All economic activity starts with some land. Because you have to be someplace, right? And the resources uh, with which one makes things come and eats comes from the land. And so this idea that uh, it's a great democratic free movement. And so this, and and they all agree about it, right? We're going to do this. Now, Thomas Jefferson has his hand big time in both the Land Ordinance of 1785 and the Northwest Ordinance of 1787. And to distinguish them, the land ordinance marks out the land for the purposes, by the way, of selling it to individuals to pay the Revolutionary War debt and support the government. They had any taxes back then. Uh, and the, And the Northwest Ordinance provides for the political governance of the same territory. How are we going to do that? And remember, there's alternatives that are radically different. I mean, today we have a radically different alternative. This is a a commitment. It sets up a kind of regime, a way for people to live together. You know, if you look at, by the way, a map of the United States, a heat map of the United States, colored in for how much the federal government owns, Uh, it it darkens as you move west. So in Delaware and Massachusetts, there's no federal land. But the farther you go until you get to Alaska, and it's almost all.
0: All federal land,
1: yeah. And that means that's a different idea, right? Uh, They thought getting the land into people's hands so they could work it and make a living and build the prosperity of all was the great public good. And today what we think is controlling the land in a central place, which means, I mean, Joe Biden the other night he, he, he lays out, you know, we are going to invest trillions of dollars. Who's we, you know? And why does he or they, whoever they are, know any more about that than regular folk,
0: right? This is why it is so appropriate to be, be focusing on the Northwest Ordinance, because there could not be a law more different in tenor and, and brevity. It's six pages, and it settles 500,000 square miles. Six? Pages, five hundred thousand square miles. It's it's about a tenth of the Joe Biden speech. We'll talk about this with Dr. Larry Arn. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. What is the Northwest Ordinance? It's the first Constitution in America. Before our Constitution. Don't go anywhere. It's the Hugh Hewitt show. A lot of spin on the news out there. Where do you hear the truth? Right here, as soon as Hugh Hewitt returns. This is the Hugh Hewitt Show.
1: they cut me out for baking bread, but I had other dreams instead. This baker's boy from the West Country would join the Royal Society. We are sailing to Philadelphia A world away from the coldy tide Sailing to Philadelphia
0: Mark Neffler, James Taylor, and one of my favorite songs, the Mason-Dixon line. Have you ever heard that song, Larry? Arndt, about the, it's a ballad about the Mason and Dixon going out in the wilderness and drawing lines. No, I never heard it. Oh, uh, That's terrific. I'll get I'll get Adam to send it to you. Yeah. Now, one of the things you have often stressed is that the Homestead Act, the great work of Lincoln, uh, it, it was twelve hundred words, and here we have a, a land of five hundred thousand miles that is from which. Five hundred thousand square miles, from which not less than three and not more than five states shall be carved, and the first Congress, which is an unwieldy article of Confederation, Congress settles that land in six pages. The rebuke to the modern Congress is extreme if they will just focus on that. And I, I do you agree with me about that? That's right, and it's extremely. And see, it's a, it's an
1: expression of, you know, it's also the reason we had the conflict with the Native Americans, right? Because they had an entirely different way of governing themselves, right? And it wasn't individual, right? It was tribal. And so nobody owned anything among them. The tribe owned. And then they, they owned much vaster territories than they could intensively settle. And, you know, when, they, when the Europeans came, they didn't really know that right they just did what they do and they and remember this so european governments at this time are different from the american government and that's one of the reasons the colonists left right because they had got the idea that they should worship as they please and they should own their governments and they should own the the land from which to make their own livings and that is a you know that is a magnetic electrifying idea and it's implemented
0: here for the first time ever. You can have land. And then you these can, are its immediate fruits. You can have land, and you need not be born to the land. That That's is right. the, the great radical thing. So I want people, I, when I reread the Northwest Ordinance in detail for this, I am struck that the very first thing they deal with is intestacy with, with regards to land. And intestacy, I've taught trust and estates, uh, in the states in, in a sort of half measure, and a half half-day lecture to my con law students so they understand how land drives everything, but I had forgotten that the Northwest Ordinance begins with, land is so important, it's the very first thing they do, is deal with how do you inherit land when no one has a will. It's the most, you, know, you usually do the most important thing first, right? That's right. That's right. And there, and and just, uh,
1: because there's a unanimity about this, it's, because you know, what, what's, what happens with the American Revolution is that it changes the world right and it's because this is the first time these ideas have ever been implemented and you know in back in better days when we knew what we were uh, the united states code uh which is the codification of all the laws that congress passes and no longer congress now the agencies uh the first four things in it were the four organic laws of the united states and they were the articles of Confederation, the Declaration of Independence, sorry, in order, the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, the Northwest Ordinance, and the Constitution of the United States. And in the mind of early America, those four documents define what the country is.
0: And I believe it was you on the steps in Sacramento 30 years ago who told me the Northwest Ordinance ought to matter as much as the Federalist Papers in understanding the Constitution. Yeah, because.
1: because it just implies, you know, what it says about, about, uh, f- f- uh, about the way, because, see, to read the Northwest Runets, you have to remember, in, in, uh, we, we can't see the big distinctions anymore. Uh, but there are many kinds of regimes, ranging from the worst kind of despotism to the best kind of constitutional rule.
0: And this is a particular kind. We'll talk a- we will talk about that particular kind at length after the break. Don't go anywhere. It's the Hugh Hewitt Hillsdale Dialogue with Larry Orange. Stay tuned.
1: You're in the middle of a non-stop action-packed
0: information blitz. The Hugh Hewitt Show. Is coming right back. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt with Doctor Larry Arn, President of Hillsdale College. The Hillsdale Dialogue is upon us. All of them, hundreds of them, are available at hue4hillsdale.com. And today we're talking about the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, not because it involves Ohio, though that would be reason or not, but because it is really the first exercise in constitution laying for a brand new empire. The first, em- the first country, as I believe the prefatory note to the ordinance says in the Hillsdale Reader, uh, that began as an empire. The first country that began as an empire, an ungoverned empire of 500,000 square miles. First thing they do is tell you how to dispose of land. Second thing is how to draw up a will because they are a legal people. There's a rule of law built in here. And then they set up a government, a particular kind of government, Dr. Arn, and, and describe that because everything we see in the Constitution is foreshadowed in the Northwest Ordinance.
1: Yeah, so first of all, understand there's more than one way to for a, a country to expand. And the typical way of any great country has always been empire. That is, us say, you go conquer a place and then you rule it. And the great empires, uh, the ones that lasted and got huge, they were all at least relatively just. That is to say the people weren't chafing and groaning under oppression every day. That's why Rome did so well, although, you know, it wasn't a free country. So and the Athenian Empire, right? They were the Peloponnesian War that destroyed the power of both Athens and Sparta eventually. That started with arguments about colonies. And the, you know, Athenian colonies were complaining to the Spartans and telling them, stir yourself up here. These guys are running over you, right? So our way is just unprecedented. It's just amazing, right? So first of all, they've marked off the land. Now we can settle it. And then they say, when there gets to be 5,000, we'll appoint a government over you. And after that, you can elect right away. And when you get to 50,000, you can propose uh, membership in the union, and the Congress will likely accept it, and you will enter the union as full members. And that means even the idiots in Ohio <laughs> <laughs> are going to get to be equal to the Virginians. And, the- and, that, and
0: that is she- amazing, actually, that yeah. they would, uh, that they're, that because they, didn't, they chose not to treat their new states the way that Britain uh, uh, treated its colonies and thereby avoided revolution on the frontier when Aaron Burr went out to intrigue. I like that they impose the common law. Uh, that is uh, very early on, after they've told you how to have your your justices, etc. And you shall adopt and publish in the district such laws of the original state's criminal and civil as may, may be necessary and best suited to the circumstances of the district, and report them to Congress. So they're actually delegating a lot of authority to these territorials, Dr. The whole, Hart.
1: That's right, the whole thing. Remember, it, uh, the the new United States had the same problem that the Native Americans had, right? That is to say, they had a whole lot of land, and they weren't using much of it. And the British are looming, Right. And so, how did they go about solving that problem? That wasn't exactly what they were trying to do. But what they did was give everybody some land, and then the energy will come from the people taking care of themselves. And that's the whole key to the British Empire in North America, and different from the Spanish and the French. The British sent families, and the Spanish and the French sent men, soldiers and priests, and... A society only of men is entirely unsustainable. And so, uh, I mean, first of all, because they all just turn into frat boys, but uh, uh, for a lot of reasons, right? And so the point was, this this series of acts lays the ground for the uh, expansion of the United States across the continent, and this, the principles of the Northwest Ordinance and the Land Ordinance are extended all the way to California.
0: And the governor shall appoint such magistrates and other civil officers as he shall find necessary for the preservation of the peace and good order. Very, very Protestant. The laws, this is so key to me, the laws to be adopted or made shall have force in all parts of the district. In other words, equal protection, which will not arrive in the Constitution for everyone until the Fourteenth Amendment is part of the Northwest Ordinance, which we will come to. The most important part in the last segment. It's a free state. It's a free. It's it's free soil. But they are they are concerned with equal protection of the laws, and no class of people um, will be above another class of people. It's it's really kind of remarkable that the the people who waged the war and won the war are not requiring of these settlers tribute
1: that's right um and they were not I mean people from out west, you know in the wilds of Michigan and Ohio and Wisconsin, they were treated like uh frontiersmen, rubes, you know, but more than that and indecisively they were treated like people and uh and just like us, see, and that's you know if if uh just remember it, it's, a, it's a statement of the meaning of a regime how it disposes of its land and you know and, and you know why was uh, let me think of a good example uh, why was the Marquis of Bath, Bath, called the Marquis of Bath? Because to be an aristocrat in Britain, you had to be associated with some land, and that meant that land was your land and that meant that others who were on it were tenants of you and that meant that there was not that much land available for ordinary people to have and, and that you see that this is it's uh, and see the british property laws uh... the laws governing legal disputes over property were radically liberalized in the first years after the american revolution in britain Still today, well, it's changed in America because of a lot of different kinds of new laws, because we're collectivizing ourselves in America. That's the contrast between the way the left, uh, politicians in office, talk versus the way the founders talked, because yeah. in Britain, uh, the right to subdivide or improve or tear down a building, uh, that, that is, you go to the crown, and the burden of proof is on you that it'll be okay. But they changed American law so that you had to show a neighbor or the government protesting against what you wanted to do with your land, they had to show that your use of your land was, hard, was a public nuisance. And, and so everything is shifted toward people taking care of
0: themselves. And, and the then today... It, today, it is shifted back. And, and, in fact, the anti-federalists, as I read them, and we'll talk about them next week, were right. I mean, that which propels the left today is that which the anti-federalists warned about. Okay, before we run out of time in this segment, I want to read something I have you comment on. For extending the fundamental principles of civil and religious liberty, which form the basis whereon these republics, their laws, and constitution are erected. That's the purpose. And it says, uh, it is hereby ordained and declared that these articles shall be considered as articles of compact between the original states and the people in the states in the said territory. Article the first, no person demeaning himself in a peaceable and orderly manner shall ever be molested on account of his mode of worship or religious sentiments in said territory. That's first. Article the second, the inhabitants of said territory shall be entitled to the benefit of the writ of habeas corpus and trial by jury of the proportionate representation, all persons bailable unless for capital offenses, no cruel or unusual punishment, no man deprived of his liberty and property but by the judgment of his peers, should the public exigencies make it necessary for the common preservation to take any person's property, it's got to be paid for. And then Article the third, religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. This is two years. Mm-hmm. before the, 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 the ratification of the Constitution and, and, and four years before the Bill of Rights. It's a remarkable, it's the whole Bill of Rights right there in the Northwest Ordinance. That's right. And look at the, uh, so first, uh, remember this, too. The,
1: the, the purpose is to divide up all this land so people can buy it. And there's only one reservation of, of land for a public use, and that's for education. And education is the means by which we pursue equality of opportunity. Uh, the fact that we control the schools so tightly, centrally, especially the inner city schools, is one reason why it's hard to move up in America because the schools are not any good, right? And and and, uh, and so that 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 the 16 Hillsdale is a Hillsdale, Michigan is in the course northwest territory, and the sixteenth township is about a half a mile from the campus. And if you go back to the original deeds from the founding, you'll find that it belonged to the state of Michigan. And then the state of Michigan was to use it for education in each township. And the 16th section of the 36 is chosen because it's near the middle of the township. There's no exact middle. And, and, uh, and that way, wherever the school gets put, Everybody can get to it, and that and that provision, that 16th uh, section, for, and it's the only reservation for a public purpose that is extended across the country. So by the time it gets to California, four sections are reserved for education.
0: We've got about thirty-three hundred. Parishes, I mean, counties or parishes in, in the United States, uh, they're called uh, Cubbins in Pennsylvania. But uh, they're they're all over the place, and it's the basic unit of government. And it is a brilliant way to do it. And, in fact, one of the great benefits uh, in Ohio, I learned from my, my grandfather that they, the Presbyterians and the Congregationalists decided to go every other square, and it made it easy to organize anything if you just did things by squares it's It's so logical that the people in New York because that's where they are right they're in New York when they draw this up. That's right now see think of this too uh, the function
1: of the government is to set up the conditions so we can live well, leaving us the maximum discretion to take care of ourselves and and uh th- this is the model of that because. Everything is designed for convenience, easy to trade, easy to know what's yours and what's somebody else's, easy to change that when you want to. And then their central government involvement with that diminishes sharply after the founding act. So if you you, uh, uh, look at the whole spirit of the thing, it is to distribute
0: authority and resources out to the people with one with one reservation they kept the navigable waters because they knew that the central government back in the east would need to move people and they belonged and to yeah, everybody but,
1: uh, but, but, or put it in a different term right that's true what you said people would need to move yes right the whole system is set up to be fluid too right it's not like we're going to give, you know, Ohio, who would want it, to Lord somebody, right, or to Revolutionary War heroes, to the founders themselves, right? They don't get whacking big grants of land. Everybody gets some land, if they, you know, and, and remember, in, in, at this time, because they needed the money, uh, you know, to run the government and pay off the Revolutionary War debt. They sold
0: They just sold it.
1: It it was Was, cheap. But by the time it got to Abe Lincoln and the Midwest, they just give it
0: away. It's free.
1: This is The Hugh Hewitt Show.
0: Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway, all things Hillsdale, at hillsdale.edu, including some amazing online courses and an application to the college and every one of our Hillsdale Dialogues with my guest, Dr. Larry Arnn and his colleagues at Hillsdale. I say for this last segment on the Northwest Ordinance, the most important article, article the sixth, Dr. Arnn, there shall be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude in the said territory, otherwise than in punishment of crimes. And that, to me, is... Central to the uh, uh, Civil War. It is central to today to the idea of systemic racism. It is a repudiation of the Calhoun argument and it's a repudiation of critical race theory that the Northwest Ordinance has, Article VI.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's uh, very dramatic because this land was ceded to the Union by Virginia. So in the time of the Revolution, the Thirteen colonies are huddled along the coast, right? And they all claimed all the land to the west. And they didn't know what that was. They didn't know until Lewis and Clark came back in, what, 186, I think it was, but I get that wrong. And so they've all got these claims, right? And the first big state to make a major session was Virginia, and Virginia gave the land to the Union. On the condition that there be no slavery there, and the person who was the prime actor in Virginia for that was none other than Thomas Jefferson. You and, said his hand was all through this. That's right. He's, he's 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 and see, we we think that Jefferson. You know, we get so many screwy ideas about uh, Jefferson. The worst and the vilest was that he was not an opponent of slavery. Uh, what he was was an insufficient opponent of slavery. But then you have to judge that in light of what was going on in the world at the time and how much could he have done, and that's you know, a judgment, and we should be making it. But what cannot be denied is that he never spoke of slavery except to condemn it. And then he took this massive action, right? And there are many others like it, and, uh, and that's because these guys thought slavery was wrong. And, and it's so why
0: the, the Union would win. He willed the future Union victory because the troops came out of these places. That's Ohio right. and Wisconsin and Michigan and Indiana. I mean, they all came out of here. Your college emptied. Yeah. And
1: see, but for that, by the way, slavery would have got into the Northwest Territory in the same way it got into Georgia, not Georgia, into uh,
0: Arkansas. Missouri and Kansas.
1: And Tennessee and Missouri, yeah. right? People just moved there with them. And so... You, you had to make a law, and they made and the initial law to govern this territory says no, and that's you know that's such a step and
0: such a. Am I right that Lincoln appeals to the ordinance in the Cooper's Union speech? Yes, you are,
1: and and he and see you know in in the in the Peoria speech is his greatest thing like this because in about two thousand words Abraham Lincoln gives a beautifully clear. History of the Movements of Slavery, and it's both a series of actions, you know, leading up through the Missouri Compromise, uh, and it's statements by great people, and you could just see that uh, they were always limiting slavery, and, uh, and, and where possible, eliminating slavery, as they did in the first great
0: accession, accession to the Union. 1787, people, please remember Article VI, there shall be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude in said territory otherwise than in the punishment of crimes. And I just, I, I, I think you must be responsible for me knowing that this matters so much. It really does. It sets up everything and, and defines the constitutional debate and the Great Compromise because they're not going to get rid of slavery um, in the Constitution or they won't have a republic. But their intent is clear about its ultimate extinction in the Northwest Ordinance. Is that a fair statement? That's right. That's right. And
1: that, you know, and remember, it it not only empowered the anti slavery forces with troops, it gave Abraham Lincoln an argument.
0: And that's a powerful thing to give Abraham Lincoln an argument. And right. it created Ohio. I go back to the most important thing. It did, it, it begins with Ohio. And uh, yeah, we got Michigan in the bargain, but we got Ohio out of this deal too. So no Ohio, no flight, no Ohio, no, uh, going into space, no Ohio, no man on the moon, and no Ohio, no Northwest ordinance. Uh, and, and so I'm just, I'm going to rest my case there. Dr. next week we are going to read, uh, um, Brutus and the Anti-Federalists, and three of the Federalist Papers, and I am curious, when you teach, we got one minute, when you teach the debate over the Constitution, do you give the Anti-Federalists their due? Yeah. Because now they're coming true. I mean, that speech by President Biden this week, the Anti-Federalists are in their graves, knocking on their caskets, saying, we told you so.
1: Well, I'll explain to our listeners
0: why that argument you
1: just made is a pitiful argument.
0: Okay, but next week, tune in. Me have me pitied. Uh, that's what it was just promised, and uh, we will be back next week. And now we're into the heat of it. Now you are versed in why the debate after the Constitutional Convention was even possible after two hundred years of American settlement, and why it went the right way in the end. Don't go anywhere, America. Stay on this station. I'll talk to you on Monday on the next Hugh Hewitt Show. absolutely positively need the truth this is where you turn this is the hugh hewitt show